Okay, good evening and welcome to the Borussia Dortmund London uh, fan podcast. And um, tonight on the show we have, uh, to me, uh, to my mind, a legend of uh, broadcasting, um, one of the authorities in the UK on uh, the Bundesliga, and also an excellent writer who's written books on Jurgen Klopp and the German Bundesliga, and probably one of the most prominent Bayern Munich fans, um, I think you can guess who I'm talking about, but if you can't, um, you'll know him from BT Sport and also Talk Sport and other programs. So our guest tonight on the show is none other than Mr. Rafa Hornigstein. Good evening, Rafa. Good evening. Um, I mean, the word legend is usually used for people who are half dead. So um, thank you, but um, I'm not sure it's quite warranted for me just yet. Um, <laughs> just a small... <laughs> addition to the buy-in bid it's actually worse i'm a member so I would, I would never con consider myself a fan uh this this goes deeper than that <laughs> okay right well i did put the caveat in that you're from bavaria yourself is that right yeah from munich so i didn't really have much choice absolutely absolutely but uh saying that um what um what, what uh how come you didn't end up an 1860 fan or is that too much of a long story no, I mean, it's not a long story at all. I was born into a family of, of Bayern Munich fans and 1860 was just never, ever an option. And I just can thank my lucky stars that it was that way because otherwise I would have been very unhappy for the rest of my life. <laughs> and on the show with us this evening, and by the way, Mr. Colm McNabola, time to fun. Good to have you on the show. Yeah, cheers, man. I'm just still laughing at um at Rafa's sly dig in there about uh, 1860 Munich not really winning much very very well played there mate very well played but yeah good to be on the show um excited about this one as well so Nick makes me laugh as well absolutely well let's get straight to it so the show tonight is about basically um our club Borussia Dortmund um and uh, what they need to do essentially to catch up with Bayern München what are the uh, the weak points i was blessed today to write the season preview for Bundesliga Fanatic uh, which is a US-based website, and it was lovely to be selected to do that. So I've got my ideas, but I'm really interested to hear what uh, what Rafa thinks and, and what Colm thinks. So um, looking back, I mean, Borussia Dortmund 2011-2012 uh, were champions. Absolutely superb DFB-Pokal final if you're a B4B fan. Um, at uh, Berlin 2012, 5-2 win, uh, dare I say. Uh, and uh, and then basically Dortmund uh, worked their way towards the Champions League final of 2013 and faced the mighty Bayern in uh, none other than at London in, at Wembley. And uh, Bayern came away with the goodies. So basically, uh, let's take a little bit of a historical look uh, back to that time and uh, basically get Rafa's views on what's gone wrong since then because Bayern have won the last, is it seven or eight titles? I, I, I give up counting. Eight. Eight titles. Well, you know what? The next one will be zero nine, which is not a good number. So I really pray and hope that Dortmund can stop that. I think, uh, I think it would be very good for the league if, if Dortmund were to do it. Um, and... I've been almost at the point, you know, during the Kovac years where I felt that would, Bayern would be better for Bayern if they actually didn't go on to win the league. Because I think if you should, if you get things wrong, it's always better um, if you pay the price. Otherwise, you just 
the attempt to just keep on going and muddling through. Unfortunately for Dortmund, Bayern realized uh, their errors just in time. Um, this year, this season and the season before, the team kind of decided, okay, we, we can't get along with this coach, but we just have to pull ourselves together and, and win the league anyway. But I think looking back, I see the last couple of seasons as really lost chances for Dortmund. I think they had a real opportunity with the squads that they've had and with Bayern's weakness, self-inflicted weakness, to to push ahead and to win the title. And, um, okay, I wouldn't blame them so much for what happened this year because Bayern just kind of ultimately proved a little bit too strong since the restart. But certainly last year, I thought Dortmund kind of threw it away. And um, I think that's that's quite annoying. Even as a neutral, I find it annoying. Well, I'm not neutral, but as someone who looks at Dortmund with with no real emotion, I find it annoying when you see a team that has so much potential not not putting that potential on the pitch and having these poor results. And it makes me, I don't want to say angry, but I find it quite frustrating. Yeah, absolutely, Colm. I mean, I think we, we have also, as BFLB fans, have felt quite a lot of frustration, that particularly the season before last, throwing away a nine-point lead uh, and essentially uh, collapsing. And I think... You know, one of the things I wrote in the article was it was particularly poor that Lucien Favre, after the 5-0 thrashing, and let's face it, I mean, anybody can lose in Munich. Um, you know, bigger teams than us have lost there in the past. But, um, you know, we at that point, we still had a chance to go on and, uh, and win the title. And yet um, it somehow felt to me as if Favre basically was quite defeatist in a way and just kind of threw it, threw it away. And I don't think I was alone with that opinion. Right, Colm? No, I think you're 100% right. Um, I think whenever you kind of look back to that Bayern Munich side, um, probably around the Guardiola years, probably from after 2013, 14 onwards, I think they became obsessed then with winning the Champions League. Um, and I think they may have taken their eye off the ball a little bit in terms of the league. Even though they still won the league, I still think that they kind of just put so much effort into trying to win the Champions League that they were able to win the league but not win it by much and Dortmund were managing slowly year by year to kind of close the gap until it reached 2000 and I think it was 18 wasn't it Ben that they kind of really got very close and they threw away that that nine point lead so um, yeah it's just very disappointing I think but you know you just every year can we always kind of sit at the beginning of season previews and think is this year going to be the year Um, it could be we just don't know we'll have to wait and find out yeah, I'm in the same. I'm in the same boat there with 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 Rafa, and that I really feel that for the Bundesliga, for the sake of the German league, it's really important to mix it up a bit, and uh, you know, and and to have a little bit more going on at the top, a bit like the Premier League. It just makes it a lot more exciting. Um, Rafa, do you do you put this down to? I mean, essentially, what you seem to be saying is that the squad, the Borussia Dortmund squad, is is. Uh, is 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 action packed and and has got some very serious um, you know serious potential therefore, but but and it, it, is it what the, a lot of the fans feel? Do you think that it's basically Lu, Lucien Favre? I mean, he hasn't won anything since winning the title with uh, with FC Zurich back in uh, two thousand eleven, I think it was, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, is Lucien Favre the guy to lead Dortmund to the Meisterschaft? I personally have my doubts. Um, I don't think there's any tactical problems, although I think there is 
having said that, I think there's a bit of a mismatch between his way of doing things, which is quite um, reactive when it comes to winning the ball back. He doesn't play a pressing game. And I think that's something that doesn't necessarily suit the team and also I think doesn't suit the crowd. Okay, that's less of an issue now, unfortunately. But I often feel that the game on the Favre is a little bit too slow to really get the crowd excited. Um, and then they get nervous, and I think that kind of translates onto the pitch. And then the players don't feel 100% secure in what they're doing sometimes. Um, on top of that, I think what is quite clear, and I think there are people within the club that feel the same ways, that his very professorial, very technical way of doing things guarantees a certain base level of performance, and it's a high one, but perhaps lacks the 5 or 10% of, of the emotional push, of the motivation, um, of you know, getting people to really believe in their chance, to push this Dortmund team just a little bit further. You and, mean, um, sorry, Rafa, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he will never be Jurgen Klopp. And until somebody comes and wins the league, People will always compare whoever's the incumbent with Jurgen Klopp unfavorably. But I think his it still feels to me as if his way of doing things and and the club and its connection when it comes to, you know, the crowd and, and the emotional side of things and even sort of the madness, if you will, it doesn't quite align that well. And I think they Within the club, there's been those doubts because of that reason. Is it all Favre's fault? No, because you have to look at the structural disadvantage of Dortmund financially. Um, you know, they can't keep all their best players all the time. Bayern can. So there's a lot of things that have to go right for Dortmund to actually be in a position where they can win the title. But this goes back to what I said before. I think they were in a position to win the title because of the good work that they had done and Bayern's problems of the last one and a half seasons, but it didn't take advantage. And I think partial blame to that for that must be attached to, to Lucien Favre, who, when I say blame, I don't even mean, mean it in the sense that he did something wrong. I just think he isn't necessarily perhaps the right fit for the club. Teams are always the image, the mirror image of, of the manager. And I think if he is, you know, he's just not that kind of guy, then you probably need five or six months Hummels in the team to to make up for that. And Dortmund just doesn't have these players. I mean, that's another reason, I think, when we talk about structural disadvantages, is that Dortmund's policy of buying young players with high potential also makes it much more difficult to create a team that's ready to win the title, that has the experience, that has the dressing room motivation, that has the likes of Müller and all these guys that Bayern have. Dortmund don't tend to have these players because they don't stick around. So I think that makes it even more of a um, necessity to find a manager to to deal with all these issues and to, to, to close that gap through the force of his personality. And Favre, in my view, just isn't that guy. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And it's quite ironic in a way to see Peter Bosch, who is much more of a Mr. Motivator, uh, doing pretty well at Bayern, Bayer Leverkusen. But I guess, I mean, what Dortmund, I mean, Dortmund looking at it, they look at guys like Peter Bosch and, uh, and also Jurgen Klopp and they say, well, you know, uh, and, and even Daniel Wagner and, 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 uh, and, um, um, 
Farker, Daniel Farker and so on. And they basically say, I mean, look, we've had, you know, I mean, Dortmund produces some excellent talent on the playing side, but also on the coaching side. I mean, that's certainly perfectly clear. So it's kind of interesting to see that essentially they don't, um, they don't seem to pick the right guy. I mean, for me, the best manager we've had in years, and this is controversial for me to say that, but um, Thomas Tuchel, I was at um, Berlin in 2017 when we won the Cup, and uh, I really felt that he was really a superb manager. Colm, what's your view? What's your view on Lucien Favre? I don't know. I think you've always got to look at, whenever you look at managers, do you think... If they want, if you want to replace them, it depends on who is available. Um, but then you look at Bayern Munich last season, and they go out and sack Nico Kovac, bring in Hansi Flick, who was, I think he he struggled. His last managerial post was um, in the lower le- lower leagues in in Germany. Tried to get promoted, couldn't get promoted, um, and then he ended up going to be the sporting. I think it was the sporting director. I think in, within the German Football Association. So you just think that you're following the right path in terms of getting these managers to come in who have won titles here, maybe not in the German league or in the similar league, but for example, with the Swiss league, like Fabra has. But then Bayern Munich go out and just get rid of Nico Kovac, who won the league in cup double, bring in a relatively unknown person. who I know he was the assistant manager and he was the assistant manager with the German side, but you know he never managed a team that was his team for a while. And you just think that, you know, you're you're following the right path, and then the the handbook just gets ripped up again, and you're back to square one again. It's just it's just incredible to kind of watch. Um, and I think we we'll go back to philosophies and you know what the the structures are within Bayern Munich, and you compare them to Borussia Dortmund, and you know it's just you just think you just, it's just impossible to kind of to try and catch Bayern. I think at the minute because everything that they're doing is just coming off. Um, the signings that they're making is just incredible. Um, but on the other hand, if you look at Borussia Dortmund and you think that Rafa mentioned that, that BVB are, um, are a selling club, I think this is the first transfer window in a number of years where a major player hasn't come in or gone out. So maybe having this squad together a bit more longer, you know, a couple more younger players coming through, you know, maybe this is the year that they do kind of close the gap a bit more towards Bayern Munich. Maybe not win the title, but I think if, they, if Favre can manage to get off to um, a good start, um, my opinion is that I think the first European or international break is around the 10th of October. I think Borussia Dortmund have three league matches, um, one cup match and then a cup final against uh, Bayern Munich as well. I think they need to win the first three matches uh, and put a good show in against Bruce, or against Bayern Munich sorry, in the cup final um, to try and keep this squad on the right path. Kind of, kind of like what we were saying um with regards previously towards the Nations League, where we're saying it's the open leagues very, very good. I think if the players know that they're buying into a into a project that they can actually see results, um, then you know Lucien Favre may stay, uh, and Borussia Dortmund may get a bit closer towards Bayern Munich and, and try and win that title that they that they badly crave. Yeah, and just for the listeners, we were talking about the Nations League uh, off, off the recording, so don't get confused here. I think it really works, um, Rafa. At um, I, I mean. I've been following the Bundesliga since I was a kid, since we moved to Germany in the, in the late 1980s. And I remember Hansi Flick as a Bayern München player. And it just what really works there is the kind of, you know, that thing about the Ruhrgebiet, what we call Dortmunder Junge, uh, a bit like Kevin Großkreuz and Marco Reus and so on, which are really kind of local boys. 
And it seems to me that the Hansi Flick, um, you know, he, he seems to be a real uh, Bavarian or real Munich Munich boy. I don't know if he's actually Munich born because I haven't checked, to be honest, but uh, he seems just to really bring that ethos and that uh, identity and cultural identity of Bayern Munich. Um, and, and that, I think, is something which, in a way, is kind of, you know, what Jürgen Klopp, even though he was from Mainz, he managed to somehow be that tube, you know, that kind of... Uh, uh, matey, matey kind of bloke that uh, he was kind of a, a real friend to the fans, friend to the club and, you know, just really appreciated for his attitude. And I think that um, Hansi Flick is, incorporates that, uh, that Münchener spirit somehow. Would I be right in saying that? Yeah, to an extent. I mean, he's from Bammental in Baden-Württemberg, so not, not, not exactly Bavaria. Um, south of Germany, yes. Um, of course, Bayern background as a player. Perhaps more importantly, background um, as the assistant national team coach with some of these players, where I think they already had a tremendous respect for his way of working, uh, but also his, his uh, human side. Um, I think, you know, he doesn't have the, the charisma of Klopp, but I think what he ha does have is pretty good technical know-how that is underestimated, um, as well as um, a real empathetic touch when it comes to relating to, to people. And I think that is a very strong, powerful combination, especially with a team like Bayern that was obviously so self-driven, self-motivated, self-coached to a certain extent. Um, seemed like the perfect, in hindsight, the perfect guy. Of course, there was a bit of foresight as well because Bayern installed him as the assistant coach, knowing that they might not get through the season with Kovac. So uh, they did that well. And that's another thing, going back to Dortmund, that Dortmund haven't been able to do which is to have that kind of an in-house backup. You know, Bayern had Heinkes before. Uh, they had Hitzfeld before that. Um, when you need to just bridge a gap before that, going back further, they had Beckenbauer who could step in as a coach. Um, Dortmund haven't been able to, to find that guy. Um, if they did, I think we might have actually seen Lucien Favre depart a little bit earlier. I think yeah. they're still looking for... For no, for more Dortmund-like coach, yeah. but difficult, very difficult to find. Um, and um, again, I think because of what Klopp has done, and because no one's come close to doing the same, the comparison comparisons will always be inevitable, and that's very difficult for anyone coming there. And I think that's probably the reason why somebody like Julian Nagelsmann felt that Dortmund wasn't perhaps the right fit for him. Um, I don't think Dortmund ever saw him as the right fit either, but I would say that's probably one of those coaches that maybe got away and that Dortmund will look back upon with a bit of regret because I think he would have, if he'd been, I mean, it's easy to say it in theory, but I think if he'd been in charge of this team for the last couple of seasons, I think he would have won at least one of the championships. I mean, it's an easy claim to make because no one can prove otherwise, but um, I rate him very highly and I think he would have been a fantastic, fantastic coach for Dortmund. Absolutely right. And I think, I mean, um, you know, uh, firstly, the question that comes to my mind is uh, people like Sebastian Kehl uh, and, and a lot of fans were saying last season, why not Matthias Sammer? Basically, but I know that he had a, a brain, um, a brain, uh, what was it, a brain hemorrhage or he had a brain operation? Aneurysm. So maybe, maybe uh, you know, uh, he is. He wouldn't he be. He doesn't the want the pressure. I think anymore. 
Yeah, but but he he similarly, as you said, came out of the squad. He was you know a leading player and so on, and and had the respect of the dressing room and so on. Um, and I know that Sebastian Kehl has done the uh, the license, the training license. But uh, I, I do see from his personality that Kehl is probably more likely to be a you know in the position that he's in a more technical position rather than leading on the field. Um, who, Rafa, because, I mean, we've got you on the show, who would you see as a potential uh, coach for Borussia Dortmund? I've always thought Mauricio Pochettino would be a great coach, but um, the problem, I think, in Germany is that they just won't. I mean, there have been some strange examples in the past uh, of, of coaches which basically couldn't speak German, like um, Giovanni Trapattoni or Nevio Scala and so on. Um, and the Germans, they really don't buy that, do they? The idea of a, a coach who just doesn't speak German. I mean, it just doesn't seem to work. I think it probably would, in theory, work with an English-speaking manager. Um, Steve McLaren wasn't a, a big success, but I don't think it was because of the language. Um, but, of course, the clubs ideally want somebody um, German-speaking because they can relate to them much better. Um, but there's an additional problem, which is probably bigger than the uh, the language issue, which is that if you get a Pochettino in, he will come with five or six mini Pochettinos um, who will take up all the strategic coaching positions. And I think for a club like Dortmund, where the leadership wants to be very much in touch with what's happening, this is quite an active way of, of, of leading the club, ear close to the ground, that is a very uncomfortable position to be in when you just don't know uh, really uh, what's happening in a dressing room. Um, it's also financially a, a big risk to hire all these people. If it doesn't work out, you have huge pay, payoffs. Um, but Dortmund are not you know, unique in this. I mean, that's also one of the reasons why Bayern, I think, ultimately felt that Pochettino was maybe a risky proposition. So I can sympathize with, with Dortmund and with other German clubs thinking that to bring in an external guy with a whole external coaching staff is a little bit alien, especially after the experience of Pep Guardiola, who of course had had great success at Bayern and had Bayern playing beautiful football, but also there was a lot of conflict behind the scenes and they felt it very difficult to deal with him because they didn't have those direct lines of communication um, that, that, that Bayern are used to. And I think the same is, is true of Dortmund. Let me just let me just throw a name into the into the ring, if you would. Um, basically, um, firstly, the question: Does a coach that coaches a team like B4B actually need to have won silverware in the past? And secondly, what about Adi Hütter? He's doing a pretty awesome job at Frankfurt, guys. So I think the answer is no. He doesn't have to have won it, but it makes it easier for him to be seen as a winner. Um, I mean, people don't look at Lucien Favre and think he is the guy that won the Swiss League. It's just too far away. It's not It's not right in front of him. Um, but then, you know, Tuchel, I think, could have worked out. And it was clear that he was winning on his own terms at Mainz. He couldn't win the championship. He couldn't win the Champions League. He couldn't win the German Cup. But playing that kind of football and amassing those points was basically winning. So silverware is good. I think it backs up your your status. It makes it easier to sell yourself to the dressing room to get find acceptance. But it's not it's not a it's not a must. I mean, with Adi Hütter, 
I think the jury's still out somewhat. I think Frankfurt did some amazing stuff, but they also had huge swings in their performances. And I think you'd probably want a bit more sustained success. And again, you wonder, you know, being an Austrian with the Austrian dialect, is he a, the perfect kind of fit for for the Ruhrpott? I, I'm not 100% sure he ticks all the boxes either, but it just shows you how difficult it is and it shows you how lucky Bayern were in a, in a way that they stumbled upon Hansi Flick because they themselves were looking and looking and couldn't find anyone either. So it's a real problem at the moment, especially if your market is restricted to German-speaking coaches. So you have a very small pond uh, to fish in. I'm going to throw one more in the ring here. Marco Rosa. A very good player at Mainz-Dolfimpf. We had Delron Buckley on the show a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he was talking about his friendship with Marco Rosa when they were back at Mainz-Dolfimpf. And Mainz has always been a good hunting ground for B4B. Uh, Marco Rosa would be a good uh, a good coach for uh, for Dortmund. What do you think? I like my I like Marco Rosa a lot. Um, I think. He could potentially become available next summer, although it seems that his time at, at Borussia Mönchengladbach is only just starting. But I think he would find it difficult to turn that kind of job down. Um, we have to see how he, you know, how he keeps going in the second season. But he seems to, for me, he seems to have the kind of charisma, um, the touch also with the players. I mean, you speak to the club, they're all very, very complimentary about him and um, a lot of parallels with Jurgen Klopp, how he relates to people. So I think he will come into contention. Um, the question is simply, is the timing going to work out? Because this year it didn't, but next year it, it might. Sorry, of course, Marco Rosa is Leipzig-born, uh, not Austrian at all. And you know where that Gedankensprung came from? I was actually thinking of Jesse Marsch, who's at uh, RB Salzburg, who for me, who is Austrian-based but American. You mentioned an English speaker. Uh, I was really enjoying seeing uh, the uh, some of the um, videos this summer of, of, of Marsch. They did a, a kind of bi biographical thing on him on YouTube. And uh, he, he really seems like he has a really... Uh, perfect kind of uh, coaching kind of personality and as Colm said that kind of um, charisma uh, you know really high level of self-expression real kind of real big personality uh, and, and uh, I, I think he would be a pretty good fit uh, we, you know we've got a few American players and so on like Giovanni Reina and so on um, what about uh, I'm not this will be this will be my last uh, my last coach that I'm going to chuck in here but um, what about Jesse Marsh uh, do, you, do you guys have any views on, on, on his suitability um, I like Jesse Marsh I had a chance to speak to him I think he's uh, he's a very impressive manager um, what I don't know is how he really relates to his players yes we saw the the team talk but um, I just haven't got as much insight into how his coaching really works, having not spoken to his players, whereas I did speak with uh, people at Borussia Mönchengladbach at Leipzig, so I feel like I got a better view of how Nagelsmann and, and, and Rose operate. So I'd withhold uh, judgment to that extent, but he certainly seems to be doing a very good job and the football is, is very impressive. So I think he'll be, he'll be one of the contenders, I'm sure, if Dortmund feel that um, Favre's time is up next season. 
Um, but let's let's uh, let's let's really uh, have a little look at the squad, basically. So, so Rafa, um, you were saying earlier that you felt that Dortmund have had, you know, a very talented squad for the last two seasons. They've managed to hang on to Jaden Sancho. They've picked up Jude Bellingham, who looks like a pretty quality player. Um, they've borrowed uh, or brought in on loan um, Renier from Real Madrid, who was a thirty million euro purchase from Flamengo. Uh, I mean. Uh, you know, uh, and also Thomas Mounier has come in also from PSG. I mean, um, is Dortmund uh, a tougher proposition to break down this last year, this season than they were last season? And what are the key positions really that Dortmund need to strengthen? Because, I mean, I think Bayern's back line is one of its key strengths, basically. You know, to think that you've got, you know, you can actually have a guy like Boateng sitting on the bench and you've still got, you know, Zula and so on. You've got a superb uh, you know, back line. I mean, I think Dortmund really, um, that is that is the key area which they need to strengthen. And I, I still feel like the defence, uh, they seem to be able to score and score and score. But just when it comes to, uh, when it comes to getting under pressure, um, you know, the, 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 the defence is really, is really a problem zone. But I mean, for me, the problems really start a bit higher up. Um, it seems to me that it's in midfield, defensive midfield, which was why it was so important to bring in Emre Chan uh, to add a bit of muscle in midfield. Um, because, um, you know, they kind of, it's like, it's, in a way, they kind of when they're put under pressure. I mean, we even saw this against. I don't know if anybody saw the uh, the friendly match against Sparta Rotterdam. Um, they 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 as soon as they're put under pressure, even against Farfield Bochum, the match which they lost three um, one, they just kind of collapse in the middle midfield. And I mean, if you go back, what two were well, two seasons ago when Burki was was kind of insecure? Again, I kind of look at that and I say, well, you know, where are the problems really happening? You know, because I actually think that the problems in some ways have been the the inability to hold up the game in the midfield. They're very fast at counter-attacking, but the midfield tends to collapse and they don't have that kind of strong defensive kind of qualities. Um, but, um, you know, this is this is just a fan's opinion. Um, Rafa, you watch a lot of football, you write about football. What's your view? Well, I think there's a combination of all these factors. Um, of course, man, man by man, Bayern are stronger. They have an 80 million euro player on the bench in Lucas Hernandez. Um, you know, they have Alaba in the form of his life. They have uh, Alfonso Davis, one of the best left backs in the world. They have uh, Pavard, World Cup winner. I mean, there's just much more quality there than Dortmund. But does that stop Dortmund from winning against Paderborn? Does that stop Dortmund from conceding goals against Dusseldorf? I don't think you can blame them for that. Um, I think there are deeper issues here, and they have to do with um, the tactical problems that we have already touched upon. Um, Bayern defend in a very high line, but they do so because they have this insane pressing game, which makes it very difficult for opposition teams to play out. Dortmund tend to fall back, wait for the team to lose the ball, and then slowly, patiently start to build their game. And if that doesn't work, it can look very passive. It can look um, anemic. It can invite teams forward. And if you especially do that against Bayern, we saw what, what, what can happen. And you come away thinking that Dortmund really didn't do themselves justice. And the same was in the second leg against uh, PSG. Another classic... Dortmund defeat in the in the wrong well, classic Dortmund defeat under Favre, I would say. 
So, yes, of course, they would love to have more expensive players. Yes, of course, they would. Uh, you can always strengthen. But I don't think that explains why this squad, which is by far, by far the second best squad in Germany, hasn't been head and above the lesser sides. You know, we should see this team picking up 80 points, no problem. Not, not in the mid-70s, not in the low 70s. And this is where I think it doesn't make so much sense looking at individual issues, but at the bigger picture. And I think the bigger picture is that this is a team that kind of gets 80% out of its potential out on the pitch on a regular basis, which is enough to win a lot of games, but not enough if you want to get anywhere near chasing Bayern. And I think that is the major problem for me rather than looking at individual positions. Yes, Neuer is better than Berkey. Of course, of course he is. Yes, Davis is better than Guerrero. Yes, uh, Pavard is better than, than Munier or even Hakimi, though. Hakimi was amazing going forward. Defensively, he's been a, he was a little bit shaky. So you can play that game, but I think that still doesn't explain why Dortmund have struggled against lesser sides quite so often. Yeah, and without putting your finger on it, I mean, what would be the two key positions that you would buy or are you loath to uh, put your finger on it at all? I mean, I think Dortmund are a little bit a little bit stuck because their business model is buying Sancho's and Bellingham's and Haaland's for relatively little money, build them up into superstars, and then you go again. I think that takes you quite far, and it should take you to the odd cup win, or at least final appearance. But it, it's going to make it difficult to challenge in Europe, and it's going to make it difficult to challenge Bayern. Who are a destination club. So I think Dortmund have begun to somewhat modify this, bringing in the likes of Hummels or bringing him back, uh, Chan, even Munier as a more experienced player. Yeah. But unless that balance changes and unless Dortmund are not so forced almost to develop players, I don't see the equation changing. So ideally, Dortmund can go to the point where they buy three or four high potential players to maybe just buying one or two and just keeping the squad together for a little bit longer. I think they're trying to do that and by and large they've become much better at it. As you said, they haven't lost anyone significant for the last two years uh, with the exception of Hakimi. But of course, it's going to be an uphill struggle because they are much worse off than Bayern. And they're much worse off uh, than uh, the teams that are ahead of them in the top 10 ranking of the Deloitte Money League by, by turnover. So it's going to continue to be a real problem. And I think the only way it can be solved, and solved is the wrong word, but I think the only way that it can be helped is to find that transformative coach that knows all these problems and these limitations but through the force of his personality and his ideas and his tactics, manages to get those extra 10, 15% out of the team. But those, you know, finding that coach is, inc is incredibly difficult. Absolutely spot on. And I must say that's something that I've observed as well as the killer mentality 
um, is really missing in a way. And I do think that, you know, you can't really blame the young players. Um, we just simply, you know, Emre Chan, as Jurgen Klopp said, was exactly the right guy to come in with his experience playing at Liverpool and Juventus and so on. And for Dortmund, for uh, Heldness, uh, how do you say, uh, for Dortmund's... Uh, uh, in terms of Dortmund's budget, um, 25 million was a pretty big uh, transfer. I mean, you think that Mats Hummels is the biggest ever transfer at 37 million. Uh, you know, it, it pales uh, in comparison. And what's so impressive, as you say, about Dortmund is that, uh, you know, if you work out there um, over the last, there was a, a, a comparison went out a couple of weeks ago showing how much the clubs across Europe have basically spent on players as a net uh, on net transfers. And uh, Manchester City uh, were right up there, having spent half a billion. Um, I don't even know uh, what Chelsea was. It must be something insane. But Dortmund actually came out as a profit of 15 million. Just a question for Rafa. Do you think that with um, with COVID going on, obviously globally at the minute, do you think that it's going to turn the Bundesliga in, and probably more leagues around the world into a bit of a, more of a level playing field because there'll be less money maybe coming in for sponsorships because companies won't be able to afford to give out sponsorship deals and so on and so forth. Do you think that this could turn into a bit of a, a bit of a leveller and maybe even work towards Dortmund's um, towards Dortmund's games really that they may be able to close the gap a bit more because the bigger clubs can't uh, sign the players that they want. For example, we've been looking at Jadon Sancho and Manchester United for the whole summer. I feel like it's been going on for about 10 years. Um, Manchester United are, are haggling on t- in, in how they want to pay for the money. Dortmund say they want the 120 million. Um, do you think that COVID has turned this into a bit more of a level playing field where you know, the smaller clubs could cash the bigger clubs or do you think it could make the gap a bit bigger? Interesting perspective. I mean, I think we have to distinguish between the transfer market and then sort of the what happens to clubs' incomes. I mean, everyone is is very badly affected. The bigger the club you are, the more you can uh, deal with that. But at the same time, also the bigger your hit is because you have massive stadiums and you have huge incomes, and that's all gone. And suddenly, you know, there's twenty percent of your income missing, but twenty percent of your costs are still there. A hundred percent of your costs are still there. So it's going to make it difficult for everyone. What is absolutely true is because the market not being normal this year for a club that it would otherwise be under pressure to sell or would expect to sell, um, it is a good position to be in. Having said that, Dortmund, of course, also to a certain extent rely on selling players because that in the past has helped them bridge the gap between buying, which would otherwise between them and Bayern, which would otherwise be even much bigger than the 250 million euros it was last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this this year with COVID and everything, it could be it could be 300 million. Uh, so it's a double-edged sword. Um, I don't think it will change much in the long run. I think Dortmund will keep their position. Um, but of course, if you're sustainably run. Um, you're on the one hand able to to deal with those setbacks easier because your you know your your books are balanced, you're sensibly run. You're not going to be uh, teetering on the on the edge like Barcelona, for example, at the moment, or even Real Madrid with their problems. But at the same time, it will restrict your your abilities to to make any big moves quite severely because there's no um, external source of of income and revenue. So difficult. 
I think, to answer this. Um, what is clear to me is that I think Dortmund's way of playing football will, on the one hand, be very successful without the crowd because it is very technical and it's based on the quality of the individual and the collective. But when it comes to those games where Dortmund, for whatever reason, don't show up, they will struggle because I don't see that intrinsic motivation and that leadership that Bayern, for example, have. Um, and I think that could be an issue next season. Well, the season that's about to start. You know, you picked up there on the, the 250 million more budget that they base or turnover that they have. Also, the wages are uh, 30%. They pay 30% more wages, if not 40%, if I'm not mistaken, at Bayern München. We couldn't really be on this show without asking you, um, you know, somebody who's who's been around football for so long. And I, I wasn't sure whether I was allowed to say this, but we were, we're both UCL graduates. How do you like that? Um, well, it's no, it's nothing to be ashamed of. <laughs> so absolutely, absolutely, you can say that. Uh, that's about course, though. absolutely, yeah. So anyway, uh, UCL's uh, University uh, College London, Colm, in case you're not au fait. Um, oh, I know, I know. I see, them, <laughs> I, see them, I see them. I see. I see you everywhere on the tubes in the morning. Well, when I used to get the tube back in I did the B the BC times, which is before Corona. <laughs> tragedy um so anyway um i was just going to basically ask you rafa um before we look at some predictions for the season ahead um i mentioned it's a season preview um what um what are your own personal experience of westfalenstadion or have you visited westfalenstadion signali duna park for for games yourself and uh, you know do you have any special memories or or, or even of visiting dortmund as a place uh, just, just real any special matches or, or, or matches of BVB that you really enjoyed. For example, Malaga um, in the Champions League was was something that I, um, you know, I, I know most people basically were impressed by that incredible um, the way the club basically came back and, and pulled pulled it back over. But also the four one against Real Madrid. I mean, the legendary matches under Jurgen Klopp. What's your what are your memories, your personal memories of Westfalenstadion you know, or Borussia Dortmund? Your favourite matches, um, Rafa? Unfortunately, I missed out on those big uh, European nights because um, I was probably doing some other game in London or, or Manchester at the time. Um, I to my great regret I didn't go to the semi-final against Italy in 2006 I think that was a um, a real shame that I didn't manage to see that game because I was covering um, the World Cup at the time but was based in Frankfurt and um, I was due to go to the other semi-final in Munich, Munich between France and Portugal and for whatever reason I just felt that it might be too much but that's a game that I would have liked would have uh, really loved to have seen Absolutely. so I'm afraid I'm afraid the games I saw in the Westfalenstadion mostly involved Bayern turning up and winning there, uh, which are happy memories for me, but perhaps less so for the for your listeners. So before we, I think, go down that route, maybe we should move on to the next to the next subject. But what I would say is that it's just an absolutely amazing stadium, and um, I think my first game might have only actually been Pep Guardiola's first game. With Bayern, the Mario Götze game, where he had to warm up in the in the tunnel, yeah, um, which didn't go, I think, according to plan as far as BFB was concerned. But what an atmosphere! Uh, the hostility and the the aggro 
I, I just absolutely loved it. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, all the cliches, all the stories are true. Uh, it is an amazing stadium and an amazing place to watch a football game. Absolutely right. And Colm, you went to a game last season, uh, right? Was it season last season or the season before? Right? Yeah, yeah, it was last season. It was just, it was my first ever time going to it, and it just, as as Rafa says, it lives up to all expectations. It's just, it's incredible. It's an absolutely incredible stadium. <laughs> but I can, I can appreciate it. That's the sort of thing, you know. Um, I don't think you have to be supporting BFB to appreciate the atmosphere and just to enjoy it. Um, whether you're on the opposing team or just a strict neutral, uh, it is just a, an amazing, special place. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think the only place that really comes close in England uh, is probably Anfield. Uh, uh, I went to the quarterfinal back in 2016, I think it was, uh, which we unfortunately missed out on. But uh, Anfield is also a pretty amazing atmosphere. Rafa, what's your favourite stadium here in England, just out of interest? Um, I, I don't know, really. I mean, I always enjoyed going to the old White Hart Lane. I thought it was, um, had that old-school feeling. Um, I love going to Craven Cottage. Not Great so answer. Before. Great answer. The atmosphere is such, but because of the stadium and its quirkiness and just the way it looks and the wooden seats and all that stuff. Uh, in terms of pure atmosphere, I think Anfield is hard to beat, but also Old Trafford, I think, on a, on a big night can be, can be a really good place to watch football. Um, yeah, I would, I would name those. It's tough to pick one of them because I think they're all slightly different in what they offer, um, and they can, all be, they can all be great. Let me throw one in which you might not have thought of, but is actually pretty superb. It's Fratton Park, Portsmouth FC. Um, they, they really, they, they, they really have an amazing atmosphere when they get yeah, going. Yeah, I went to a game there, which was which was great, but it was a league game which didn't have much riding on it, so perhaps that kind of affected my experience a little bit. But yeah, it is it is a great place as well, absolutely. Okay, well, as we come to kind of the conclusion of the show, I mean, we've had a really interesting analysis of Borussia Dortmund. We've looked at some of their weaknesses structurally. Uh, the Dortmund is an area. Um, Dortmund, in terms of the leadership on the field, uh, you know, the, the balance of young and old. Um, we've looked at basically um, some of the highlights and, uh, and, and basically really confirm something which gets confirmed every single time on the show, which is this Fallenstadion or Signali Duna Park the place, uh, not just in Germany, but really, I mean, it, it's it's one of the best football atmospheres, along with La Bombonera, uh, Boca Juniors in America, or perhaps, you know, uh, perhaps even, uh, you know, on a great night down in Naples uh, at the Stadio San Paolo. I mean, you know, Dortmund is an amazing atmosphere for football, and, uh, you know, anyone who, who basically joins the Borussia Dortmund London fan club knows that, or even just comes down to our Stammtisch uh, in the naughty bar and watches uh, watches uh, before beer with us um, just off Oxford Street um, has a Dortmund beer and so on and just really enjoy that incredible atmosphere and that incredible um, unity that there is with uh, with uh, you know with the team and the club and and that that sense of oneness that Elden really brings. The season ahead is about to start. I'm pretty excited. Despite all the summer of football, there's nothing that gets me going really like Bundesliga. Um, it really is the, the world's best league for me. So let's, uh, let's hold some of the positions here. So basically, uh, I guess you could be pretty confident that you're going to uh, pick up the ninth, uh, ninth 
uh, who else is going to be in the Champions League with uh, with Bayern München uh, this season? I think it's um, it's going to be the same teams. That I don't see any big changes. I mean, you can make a case for for Hertha um, pushing pushing much harder and, and getting closer. Um, I think that's a good chance. I mean, Wolfsburg in their second year under Glasner, I think, would be improved as well because they struggled with the balance between defense and, and attack. But if you just look at the quality in the squad, um, I think the four teams that are there uh, this year look, you know, look like the strongest four teams. And then you have Leverkusen and, and Hertha and Wolfsburg just behind. And I just don't see... I just don't see much of a change, really. Um, will Bayern struggle? It's tough, tough to think so. Um, I still expect Open to get much closer. Uh, I mean, I would hope that they would get much closer. And I think Dortmund, perhaps more importantly, need to make sure that they are in contention for the German FA Cup because the league winning against this Bayern team is very, very difficult. Winning the German Cup is easier and should be doable for a team of Dortmund's uh, quality. So I think there, that's where I expect them to to really be be a lot more competitive this season. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, the match on Monday night against MSV Duisburg, uh, they beat them five one in the friendly a uh, couple of weeks ago. So hopefully they should be able to put on a good performance there. And um, Colm, any other views on the on the Champions League places? Same as really, to be fair. Um, I can't see Leverkusen coming anywhere close after selling Havertz. I think Volland went as well. I know they got Schick in from RB Leipzig. Um, from Leipzig. Milan. Oh, was it from Milan? Sorry, he was on loan last season. Yeah, like. was on yeah. Um, I think Leipzig are just about signing Angelino. I think it's a good signing again back from Manchester City, but they've lost Timo Werner, so... I don't think they've replaced them as far as as far as I've seen. Um, so I can't see them. Maybe the gap will get closer again between likes of Wolfsburg um, and maybe Leverkusen to catch up with Leipzig. But I can't really see much difference in the top top three, top four this season again, really. Okay, well, I mean, essentially, the top six are really are really the place to be in Germany. And and for me, I have to say, although it's my absolute favourite league, and I've been to many of the stadiums across Germany from. Leverkusen to Heisfau to, uh, oh, did I just say Heisfau? Man, it's been a long time since we heard anything of Heisfau. Um, okay, the, the bottom the bottom four and also, or bottom three, let's say, and then also who's coming up from Zweite Liga, Rafa? Do you, do you actually keep an eye on the Zweite Liga much? Uh, not that much, to be perfectly honest. It's, it's hard enough following the Bundesliga properly and then I have the Premier League as well as my second league, if you will. So, no. Bundesliga 2, um, I take an interest late on when it you know, uh, turns out who's in the playoff, who's going up and down, but not so much before, I'm afraid. Um, as far as the Bundesliga is concerned, I think, again, it's the usual suspects. You know, you're looking at uh, Augsburg, who just survived. You're looking at Mainz, who I think have been really struggling. I don't think Köln are necessarily invincible either when it comes to to going down every year tip Freiburg to go down every year they, they make me look like an absolute idiot um, <laughs> I'm not going to do it this time yes. um, but then you still have you know you still have uh, 
the likes of, of Stuttgart, um, who I think will, will find it tough going. And of course, Bielefeld as well. So, uh, and Union, the second season. I mean, the beauty of the league is that half the league doesn't really know whether they're playing for the Europa League or against relegation. And I think that's going to be once more the case with a lot of teams and being in the mix down there. Absolutely, absolutely. Cole, many views on the uh, relegation. I love that uh, 16th versus third relegation match that they have in the Bundesliga. I remember being, <laughs> I hate to say this, but I actually remember Borussia Dortmund playing it in 1987 against Fortuna Köln. I was quite small at the time, but uh, it was an incredible duel they had to play it out that ended up in an 8-0 win for Dortmund in the third deciding match. Um, Cole, many views on relegation? Before we, before we wrap it up? Uh, I think Bielefeld are gone. Uh, I've written them off completely already this season. Um, I just can't see them staying up. Oisberg, I think they'll go down too. And I'll pick one more. I think it's like it's a bit of a lottery, this really, isn't it? From As Rafa was saying, teams don't know if they're playing for, for top half or, or avoiding relegation. I'll probably throw my hat out and say Cologne. Just Cologne, I think, will be the, the team as well. Yeah, that would be an absolute tragedy. Dortmund fans have had such a long-standing friendship with the FC. Uh, and then another fantastic stadium, by the way. The uh, Is it still called Müngersdorfer Stadion or is it Rhein-Energie-Stadion? Yeah, amazing stadium. Amazing stadium. I love that song that they have at the beginning, FC Köhler. I don't know, it's just uh, really iconic. There's such such good experiences going. I mean, um, just to tell you, Rafa, that our fan club has been running since 2013. We've had... Uh, an average of two to three hundred members each season, and basically, uh, you know, the guys that go out, you know, our members go out at least to one Bundesliga game per season, sometimes more, and um, you know, they they go to away games and places like Mainz and Köln and so on, and really, I mean, you just have such a good time in in the German stadiums because you can have a beer, you can have a smoke, um, people are pretty, you know, good to get on with, and. Uh, yeah, it's just a really fantastic league, I have to say. So, uh, you know, um, it's it's wonderful to be able to have you on the show as one of the key kind of uh, spokespeople for the for 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 Bundesliga in this country. And uh, it's been really special that you would come uh, and and talk with us about Borussia Dortmund and give us some of your insights, but also um, some you know some really uh, good pointers about where BVB needs to improve themselves in in the season ahead. Um, and uh, I think it's going to be a great 2021, and I think that we will have Zuschauer audience back again um, at the latest, uh, I would have thought, sometime probably after Christmas. But, um, yeah, it's going to be a really, really good one. I have to throw a quick last question in which Zachary, one of our members from the United States, asked. He asked uh, us to ask you, Rafa, uh, was Jaden Sancho uh, staying at Dortmund? Uh, was that, I, I don't know what he means by this, but he asked us to ask you, was that uh, better for Man United or better for B4B? Presumably he means that Man United are going to pick someone else up, although personally, I think Sancho will still go to uh, Man U. What's your view? I mean, it's obviously better for Dortmund to keep him. Um, I still hope they do keep him. Um, I hope that uh, things don't change later on with a with a new bid from United coming in. Um, so no, no, I think it's it's better for for United for Dortmund for him to stay. It might ultimately better for him as well because if he has another stellar season and, and things are back to normal next year and the Euros and everything, he might not just have United but 
literally the whole of European football vying for a signature and he might have more options available. So um, I think that explains why he hasn't, to my knowledge, really pushed and make it made it really awkward and you know threatening not to play and all these kind of things that players do when they really feel they have to go. Um, we haven't really seen those things from him for those reasons. Rafa, if, if you'd put a yes or no answer, is Sancho going to stay or is he going to go? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not in charge of uh, United's finances. <laughs> There's nothing that I was- can't. I can't influence. I can't influence this. Um, I think, just judging from Dortmund's stance, which has been very public and very, very clear and very consistent, I think it'd be very difficult for Dortmund to climb back from that and to say, you know what? Mm-hmm. Ah, okay, now the offer isn't fine. We sell him. Um, so, I'd say it's much more likely that he will stay now because it's so late in the day. But the transfer window is still open for another month, so. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. And there's a, there really is uh, something special about that boy, isn't it, Jaden Sancho? He's actually one of our honorary members, and um, he's a South London boy, and so obviously having him as part of the London fan club is very, very special. Um, if anybody wants to catch up with you on uh, on social media, uh, Colm, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram. Um, just call him Mike Nabola if you have any questions or anything, or if you want to ask me anything, work away. And, and uh, Rafa, not like we don't know, but uh, where, where do we find you, basically? Where can people write to you little comments or just uh, kind of uh, sign, show their approval for, for your skills on, on, on TV? Yeah, or disapproval, more like. But, um, I mean, they can, they can catch me on, on Twitter, at Honigstein, or at The Athletic, where we are um, now increasingly um, have a social element and um, I can talk to, to readers and... Um, also have some of the content available for those who don't have a subscription. So those two places are good starting points. I did see you. So I think the athletic, I think that, I think the athletic reached there. Was it 1 million subscriber? I think recently, if it was this week or yes. So so congratulations. Congratulations, Rafa. It's it's well worth the subscription. If anybody's thinking of this or subscribing to it. To subscription. I'm I'm wanting to write for it, Rafa. (laughs) Join, join, join the club. Um, <laughs> Thank you so much. You've been a real player. Welcome. And, uh, and, and uh, good luck to your team. And uh, may the best team win, as they say here in England. Uh, and uh, may it be a fair fight. And I hope to see the Schwarzgelben holding the Meisterschaft at, uh, sometime uh, in June uh, coming. Okay, guys. Well, it's been amazing. Episode 15. Thank you both so much. And uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of the weekend. And as they say, hey, I'll be for being. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Rafa. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.